From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, the Senior Advisor to the President here at the Family Research Council, and I'm extremely pleased to be sitting in for Tony this evening. And most of all, want to thank you for sitting in with us as well and entrusting this hour of your time to us. Friends, we've got an incredible program lined up for you tonight and keenly aware of what's happening in Jerusalem this evening. And just to say up front, if anything breaking happens, we'll do the best we can to keep you up to speed on that. But let's hit some of the highlights that we'll be discussing. On Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives actually debated a bill to end the draining of the Strategic Petroleum Reserves. I stress the word debated because the process by which this legislation was debated due to the new House rules package that was passed, the process itself may end up being more newsworthy than the bill. Congressman Bob Good will be joining me to discuss that and why it could be so important. Then we've already seen that CVS and Walgreens shamefully preparing to join the chemical abortion industry. But did you know now that Walmart is also considering to join? But the good news in this is that Walmart is worried about a blowback and bad PR. So it's not too late to stop them. We'll discuss this a little bit later on in the program. And you also know that this is National School Choice Week and that uh, the school choice movement continues to rack up one victory after another. But for Christian parents, school choice is not just about seeking a better education. It's about discipleship. And for that discussion, we'll be joined by a very familiar face, or for those of you on radio, a very familiar voice to discuss that. And I should say, I'll go ahead and put this out there. Speaking of familiar faces, the Republican National Committee held their annual winter meetings this week in California, and Family Research Council President Tony Perkins was there. In fact, he delivered a very key address to party leaders. We are hopeful that he is going to join me in an airport. Uh, so stay tuned. We're hopeful that's going to work out, and we believe it will. And then to wrap up, we have some very encouraging news coming out of Mississippi, where there, uh, after two years of proceedings, we have an elementary school student who is no longer going to be barred from wearing a mask to school with the simple Christian message, Jesus loves me. We'll get all those details as well coming up later on in the program. And just as a reminder, uh, this show, if you miss any portion of today's program, you can find it, you can retrieve it at TonyPerkins.com. Also, of course, a host of other archive programs are there for you. So don't miss any part of today's program. You'll always be able to find it there at the website, TonyPerkins.com. And before we jump into the program, as I referenced at the very beginning, we are all aware that, uh, in fact, today is Holocaust Remembrance Day, but we are aware of the striking news that's coming out of Jerusalem, where a violent gunman opened fire on a synagogue. There are a number of deaths, a number of injuries. So on this day, 
We think of those who were killed, uh, not only in the Holocaust, but those who were killed today. And I just would urge you, I was as I was hearing the news, I was reminded of Psalm 122, verse 6, that instructs us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So let me encourage you, uh, before you go to bed this evening, to lift up a prayer for those in Jerusalem. And yes, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. All right, let's jump into the program. Yesterday, for the first time in seven years, lawmakers in the House of Representatives were able to propose amendments to legislation. You heard me right. First time in seven years, legislators were actually allowed to propose amendments, and it ended up there were over 140 amendments that were offered. Uh, Tony and I have discussed on the program for the past several weeks that all of this procedural change was due to a new House Rules package, which literally returns the people's house to be just that, the people's house, where your representatives are actually able to debate and discuss and offer amendments. Yes, discussion and debate. The Republicans are giving a big, wet kiss to big oil. They're making it more difficult for families to afford gas at the pump and rewarding big oil with record profits. Once again, they're demonstrating they care more about protecting the profits of big oil than protecting the wallets of hard-working Americans. H.R. 21 is designed to stop the abuse of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for non-emergency political reasons, such as President Biden's decision to drain the spro in the days leading up to the election. The other side likes to say, well, it was the war in Ukraine that caused prices to go up. The war in Ukraine just exposed the energy uh, crisis that started on day one of the Biden administration. I love that. Actual debate and discussion happening on the House floor. That was uh, Democrat Representative David Ciceline and Republican Representative Kathy McMorridge Rogers. And the question is this, is this the beginning of a new era? in the House of Representatives. Well, joining me now to discuss this is U.S. Representative Bob Good. He serves on the House Education and Workforce Committee and also the House Budget Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia. Uh, my dear friend, one of my favorite congressmen, Congressman Good, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Great to be with you, Jody. Thank you for having me again, my friend. Well, listen, we appreciate you coming on. And Look, we, we've discussed the necessity of a new rules package several times on this program, and I know you were one of the cornerstone members fighting for that. Uh, and yesterday, for the very first time in seven years, we actually saw that come into play, uh, where the modified rule enabled members just like yourself and others to actually offer amendments. In fact, 24 of them received votes, and uh, in fact, votes that only took two minutes. I mean, give me your thoughts on all of this. Well, it truly was historic to see that happen. You know, the fact that it's been seven years, this is how it should have been all along. And you know it better than I do because you served longer than I did. And of course, you were there as a counselor and a, in, a, 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 had input on this process there to the very end until you finished your, your last term. But uh, it was really incredible to see, uh, as you said, not only could we vote yes on good legislation that uh, limits the president's ability to compromise our national economic security by selling our and depleting our oil reserves for uh, for political purposes instead of strategic purposes in the national interest, 
But right, you had mostly Democrat amendments, quite frankly, because it was good legislation that most Republicans agreed with. And we had a handful of Republican amendments that were voted on and, and passed and were approved uh, all by, I think, maybe one of those. And, you know, that to slightly tweak or improve the bill. But you had a large number of Democrat bills or, excuse me, amendments that were offered as they should be able to. You know, the, the, we, Congress should function in a way that protects the interests of the minority to have some input, to have some voice, even if they don't have the numbers to pass it, of course, without persuading the majority. But uh, that's how it should work. It takes a little bit of extra time. But as you also know, Jody, since we didn't have proxy voting, uh, we were able to have those two-minute uh, uh, votes. And so we did, in something like an hour and a half today, we had about 35 votes that we took and uh, functioned as the way the founders intended. And we got good legislation that will further protect the national economic security of the country. Well, I can't tell you how exciting that is to me. This is a battle literally that has been taking place for a long, long time. Two questions come to mind with this. Number one, is this the beginning of a new era for the House of Representatives? Is it going to continue? And then secondly, right along with that, for those who are watching and listening right now, is there anything that uh, that they can do to help uh, encourage this people's house to continue the way it currently is? Well, to your first question, we certainly hope so. We hope this is the beginning of a new era. We have an opportunity for that. As, as you know, just over the, uh, three weeks ago in the beginning of the Congress, you had historic courage on display. It hadn't happened in some 160 years where you had members uh, of a party uh, force multiple votes before uh, selecting their own uh, member as Speaker of the House, risking their own political careers, risking their own political standing, if you will, showing the, cover the courage that we have called for in our legislators. And then and that allowed us to leverage that willingness to vote no on the presumptive Speaker to improve things for how Washington works, how Congress works. And, and really where that will show up, Jody, is when we look to this, the fights on the debt ceiling, the fights on the spending packages. As you know, we can't continue to do what we've always got. And that's why we do, you know, have, this has to be a new era. And Kevin McCarthy is now empowered when he negotiates with the Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer, when he negotiates with the White House to say, hey, we cannot do things the way we've always done them because of the new rules that have been put in place in the House to constrain us from being able to pass massive spending bills. And also, I've got members in my party who mean what they say. When they say no, they mean no, and they're willing to go to the mat for that. And so he'll be empowered to have greater leverage in negotiations. And I'm pleased that Kevin McCarthy's off to a good start as speaker. He's doing and saying the right things. We're 100% behind him, united behind him. We've turned the page on the speaker battle, and uh, he's, he's you know empowered to lead, and we're going to be there to help him every way that we can. This is National School Choice Week, and I wonder you have a very important piece of legislation. But before I hit on that, uh, just to ensure that this type of uh, debate and discussion continues on the House floor, is there anything that, uh, that our listeners can do to kind of hold uh, their representatives or Congress in, in general accountable to continue this process? Well, there's no substitute, as you know, Jody, for the age-old uh, reach out to your member. Let them know when you're happy with what they're doing. Let them know when you don't agree with what they're doing. The only real voice uh, that uh, members of Congress hear is from constituents in their respective districts. So your listeners may have members of Congress who they agree with and are doing what they've asked them to do or what they said they would do, and so they can just encourage them 
when they do that. Support them and encourage them. There's different ways to do that, of course. Uh, but if their member of Congress doesn't do what they said they would do or isn't taking the stand they said they would take, then they need to hear from their constituents as well, you know, calling them, emailing them, uh, reaching out to them and letting them know what, what they want them to do. Because at the end of the day, we work for the 800,000 or so members of our respective districts. Okay, listen, we, uh, we'll we we'll do that. I want to shift real quickly, and we've only got about a minute and a half left, but this National School Choice Week, you have an extremely important bill uh, addressing this type of issue. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've got. Yeah, very quickly, you and I both, I think, agree that the federal government ought not to be involved in education. We ought to eliminate the Department of Education. The amount of dollars that are funneled, state, funneled from the federal government to the state and locales is not worth the the uh, mandates that come from Washington. However, what our choice bill would do is to say that the federal dollars that are allocated for each student in government schools across the country would instead follow the child and the parent would direct where those funds would go to the educational choice that that family makes, whether it's private school, Christian school, another public school outside of their district, if their state charges you when you do that, or to the homeschool uh, educational expenses. So it really empowers parents, as particularly lower income parents, to have the resources they need to make the best education choice for their children. Well, Congressman Bob Good, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you leading the charge on this. School choice is becoming a massively important issue these days, as we all know, as we watch what continues to take place in the public school. So thank you, Bob Good, for joining us. We appreciate your incredible leadership. Thank you, Jody. Stay in the fight, my friend. Appreciate you. You as well. And coming up, we've discussed CVS and Walgreens' effort to join the chemical abortion industry, but now Walmart might be next. But it's not too late to tell them no. We'll discuss this on Washington Watch right after the break. Stay tuned. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Again, I'm your host, Jody Heiss. And friends, that is exactly our mission, our purpose is to bring to you the cutting edge news, what's happening in our uh, world today, in our country, and to do so from a Christian worldview perspective. So thank you so much for entrusting this hour of your day to us. All right, we've discussed on the program ever since the FDA rewrote their rule book to allow pharmacies to sell chemical abortion drugs. There have been some of the majors, biggies, pharmacists, CVS, Walgreens, They've literally moved forward to align their business with the abortion industry, and they've done so in spite of a huge outcry from churches and pro-life organizations. But now the Family Research Council has learned that Walmart executives have begun discussions of their own about entering the abortion business. We're hearing from sources that executive at the uh, Arkansas-based retailer, uh, they are very much aware that the public is watching them, and they're concerned about a potential PR blowback. Uh, So uh, the question begs, how can we let Walmart corporate brass know that they should not enter the abortion industry? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Connor Semmelsberger. He's the Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity here at FRC. Welcome back to Washington Watch, Connor. As always, thank you for joining us. Yeah, good to be on with you, Jody. Well, likewise, and we appreciate your leadership on this. All right, we've got, uh, obviously, FRC along with a host of other pro-life groups uh, have already been active in trying to urge CVS, Walgreens, some of these others, not to sell abortion pills. But now, Walmart, are they next? Tell us about this. Yeah, well, we surely hope not. Um, As you mentioned, we had sent letters just last Friday to both of those big retailers, CVS, Walgreens, urging them to reconsider their already public statements that they were going to search for this uh, certification to prescribe chemical abortion pills. And right now, Walmart, I think, is is the the next big uh, dog really considering this. And what makes them unique is they're not just a corner store pharmacy like those others, um, but they all, for all intents and purposes, are a grocery store, clothing store. Um, I mean, you can get car repairs at Walmart. They are a full-fledged service uh, uh, opportunity for most families. And to associate their name with prescribing abortion, fulfilling abortion pills, I think is just a step too far. And that's what we tried to communicate them today. 
And well, it is. I mean, can you can you imagine unless uh, someone going to Walmart for an abortion? I mean, uh, just the thought of it itself is so anti-Walmart. Uh, but let, let's. I, I want to get into that aspect here in just a moment. But uh, if you can, kind of kind of remind our viewers and listeners of the dangers of these pills. All right, we we already know obviously that they they kill innocent babies. But what about the the risk to the mother? Yeah, they're, they're severe, and, and that's the main element that the FDA has totally ignored in this whole conversation, is that this is not just another pill. This is not an antibiotic that you get from your pharmacist or something to help you with back pain. This is something that, yes, kills an unborn child in the womb, but if there's not proper health and safety protocols in place, checking an ultrasound to see how far along a woman is, in-person prescribing, follow-up for any pre-existing conditions she has, Women, we have several, several accounts of severe adverse events to these drugs. Unfortunately, even 28 deaths recorded um, to the FDA because of these drugs alone, because uh, hemorrhaging and severe bleeding can occur for these women. And if they aren't able to get immediate emergency care to help with that or help to expel an incomplete abortion, uh, bad, bad things can happen to her health that will impact her negatively and emotionally then and even uh, for the rest of her life. And it's really sad. And this is something that the FDA has totally overlooked with their latest political move. Wow. That, that's stunning. Something that significant would be overlooked. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, how do you overlook something with that kind of devastating consequences and outcomes potentially. Uh, so Walmart executives, we're hearing, they are concerned about potential public outcry against this. Um, where do you think this is going and what, uh, what can be done to encourage them to say no? Yeah, and like I mentioned at the start of the, the, the segment here, uh, they are unique because how many other pharmacies we know are at your local grocery store, right? Uh, you know, your local regional grocery store also has pharmacies there that if Walmart st steps into this phase to become abortion clinic, uh, that could set a precedent for all these other uh, retail-based pharmacies that are housed in grocery stores and others. And so we really hope Walmart takes a strong stand against this. Uh, for those reasons, but also I'd just like to paint a little picture for our viewers back home. Can you imagine, like you said, going to a Walmart and here you may be getting maternity clothes, you're buying baby formula, all those things associated with caring for children in life. And right to the left is that pharmacy where a pharmacist is handing out a chemical abortion pill where a woman's going to go home and take that chemical abortion, uh, dispelling her baby. Just so saddening to see, but I think the practicalities there of them being a unique uh, provider of all of the services, we hope they set the stage and stand up to the abortion lobby, regardless of their calls, and say, no, we will not turn our pharmacies, our place of business, into an abortion clinic. I tell you, we've got an enormous opportunity here. And as you well know, Family Research Council is uh, leading a charge on this, along with other groups. And uh, But this is a, a critical issue, and perhaps people who shop at Walmart could speak to the managers there as well and urge them not to participate. Now, all this, Connor, we've got less than a couple of minutes left. Uh, but all this is taking place while Democrats are looking to actually repeal the Hyde Amendment. Uh, real quickly, tell us about this so our listeners are informed. Yeah, Biden has called for this just since he ran for president. He wants to remove a longstanding policy we have in Congress that says we will not fund direct abortions with our taxpayer dollars. 
So thankfully, we have a pro-life majority back in the House that can really resist this and actually, we hope, are going to pass legislation later this month or next month uh, that locks in this policy permanently. Right now, it's something that has to be renewed annually. That's why Biden administration has threatened to repeal it. So we are just hoping that they will stand strong and say, no, we do not want to fund abortions with our tax dollars. We actually have this recent polling from last week that says 60% of Americans oppose their federal tax dollars from going to pay for abortions. About 30 seconds, Connor, at the same time, Republicans were introducing the no taxpayer funding for abortion. Uh, 15 seconds or so, what would that do? Yeah, that would lock this policy into place and it would make a pro-life fix to Obamacare, which currently is still subsidizing abortion plans. Well, Connor Simmelsberger, thank you so much. As always, you are a tremendous leader, uh, not only at FRC, but far beyond. And we appreciate you coming on Washington Watch this evening. Yeah, pleasure to be on with you, Jody. Thank you so much. All right, friends, stay tuned. Coming up, as we've already been uh, discussing, it's National School Choice Week. But for Christian parents, school choice is not just about education. It's also about discipleship. I'll discuss why after the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy in the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host this evening, Jody Heiss, filling in for Tony Perkins. As you well know, as we've been talking about off and on throughout the evening, this is National School Choice Week. And there's no doubt the momentum for school choice continues to grow. Uh, we have had landmark school choice laws that have recently passed in places like West Virginia, Arizona, Iowa, and there are at least half a dozen other states that are 
considering similar uh, universal school choice legislation. And so here we are, we applaud all of this success. I mean, it is extremely important uh, to consider the importance of school choice. But for Christians, very interesting angle that I want to bring our next guest into. School choice, he says, is not just about education, but it's about discipleship. And listen to this. School choice provides a chance for parents to determine who will be the primary spiritual influence of their children. I love that concept. Joining me now to discuss this is Joseph Backholm. He's a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at Family Research Council. He is an extremely familiar face and voice here on Washington Watch. Joining us now by phone, Joseph, thank you for joining us. We're honored to have you back on Washington Watch. Good to be with you, Jody. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. And uh, listen, I, I read the article. In fact, I have it just here in front of me that you have written uh, regarding school choice being an issue of discipleship. I think that is an incredibly thrilling and insightful perspective. Uh, describe for us further what you mean. Yeah, you know, Jody, between kindergarten and 12th grade, if you go through a typical education schedule, you'll spend 16,000 hours in a classroom. And a lot of us have a kind of a dualistic view of education where we go to a classroom to just learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, and then we go to church and we go to our parents to have our spiritual formation happen. But the evidence is pretty clear that those 16,000 hours inside a classroom is not just teaching us things academically, or in many cases not teaching us things academically, but it is forming our view of the world. It's forming our worldview. It's forming the things we love, we care about, and that is fundamentally what discipleship is about. And so as we are really seeing this revolution in education around the country, I think it's important for parents, Christian parents in particular, to see this not just as about education, but it really is about where they're spending their time, where they are being formed, where they are being discipled. And this is an opportunity for the church to reclaim that opportunity. So we are, again, the ones being the primary influence over our kids. We are the ones discipling. Man, I love that approach. And I, I share with you, uh, Joseph, I hope our listeners and viewers are catching on to this concept. You know, and, and one of the issues at play here, when it comes to the public school, uh, we're not just talking about educators being neutral. These days, in so many instances, there is outright hostility against uh, Christian faith, Christian ideology, and values. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think neutrality has always been a myth. But 50 years ago, there was more compatibility between a Christian value system and the cultural value system. And now, as that compatibility has disappeared, you really are having to make the choice. Even those who, who want to believe that it ever was neutral are having to face facts that this, these are not neutral environments. And increasingly, the education, the, the education programs in our public universities are pumping out educators who aren't there to just teach your kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're teaching, they want to teach your kids how to be, you know, gender neutral and a whole range of things that are completely in, in uh, conflict with the values of the parents who continue to send their kids to those schools. So neutrality is really not an option. you got to pick which side you're on. We are now in a political environment where we can 
use the dollars to fund the right side so that our kids are being uh, educated slash discipled by people who share our values rather than those who hate our values. That really should be an obvious choice for parents. There's some work to do to build the infrastructure so that there's enough seats for all the Christian kids to be discipled and educated in the right environment. Uh, but the opportunity is certainly in front of us if we're willing to put in the work, and I think we should. Well, Joseph, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Uh, we've got about two minutes left, and uh, you've been such a leader on this issue. You've written in the past that uh, every church should start a Christian school, uh, and we actually reported earlier this week on how Cornerstone Chapel in Northern Virginia is starting one. In fact, I have a clip here I'd like to play from the pastor, Gary Hamrick, there uh, last year when he announced that they were starting a, a school in the church and then get your thoughts. Here's a clip. 20, 25, 30 years ago, the idea of a Christian school was something we thought was nice. But it's no longer time for niceties. It's a time of necessity. No longer time yeah. for niceties. This is a time of necessity. Give me your reaction. You know, I, I think he gets that exactly right, Jody, that this is this is a need. It's, it, it's one thing to say, oh, that's a luxury. It's not a luxury. It's a, it's a matter of survival for our kids' souls. The conversion rate in the government school system of Christian kids to secularism is really, really, really high. We want to think we can send them there to be missionaries, and the reality is, in most cases, the opposite is happening. That's why it is a necessity um, to make sure that our kids are being discipled to love and do and, and appreciate the right things, uh, not just know that you, there's a difference between boys and girls, right? That's a bare minimum standard for what we uh, do with our kids until they're 18. Uh, we got to raise the bar and the opportunities in front of us. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us on Washington, uh, Washington Watch. We appreciate your input. Good, to, good right. to see you, Jody. Thank you. All right, folks, coming up, the Republican National Committee held its first major meeting since the elections last November. We're going to be connecting with Tony Perkins in the airport to find out just what happened. Stay tuned. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength but where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Well, welcome back to Washington Watch, everyone. An honor to be with you, and thank you for joining us this evening. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and extremely honored to be sitting in for our next guest. The uh, annual national, uh, the Republican National Committee just had their winter meetings in Dana Point, California. And this was, in fact, the first major meeting they've had since the elections last November when the Republicans retook the House of Representatives. Uh, but they were, they were also expected to take a red wave and to massively win things. So it's, it's been an important meeting that the RNC has had this uh, the over the last couple of days. And among other things, one of the major agenda items that they had to resolve was the RNC chair and incumbent Ronna McDaniels was reelected. Mike Lindell received four votes. Harmeet Dillon received 51 votes. And Ronna McDaniel received 111 votes. So I'm pleased to announce Ronna McDaniel has been elected chairman of the Republican National Committee, and the gavel is yours. Congratulations. So there you have it. That's how the votes went down. And our very own president of Family Research Council, Tony Perkins, was there and, in fact, was a a uh, heavily involved individual with giving some keynote addresses in that. And uh, Tony, uh, it's an honor as always to have you on Washington Watch and uh, following what was just said, the gavel is yours. How was the meeting? Well, Jody, thanks so much for filling in and giving me the opportunity to go out and uh, and speak at the RNC's uh, winter meeting. It was a good meeting, and I, it was, um, you know, my purpose in going was to encourage the Republicans that were getting, as you mentioned, uh, there was this anticipation of a red wave. I think part of that, and this was unpacked during the course of the, the couple of days, that some of the expectations were uh, overly uh, optimistic from some of the pollsters, given, you know, how we've already seen the states redistrict. There just weren't that many seats to pick up. It, it was less than a stellar. Uh, uh, result in the election. But my point was it would have been a lot worse had we not had the RNC 
under Rana McDaniel, who we've been working with, that stepped forward and addressed the life issue. If you'll recall, going into that election, the uh, the two parties, the polling shows that the, it wasn't the top issue, the life issue wasn't the top issue for either party, but it was a strong motivating issue for about half of Republicans and about half of Democrats. Democrats talked about it. Republicans didn't. The result was the Democratic base was motivated. Republicans were not. My point was it had been a lot worse had uh, the RNC not stepped forward encouraging the candidates not to be silent, but to talk about and celebrate life. And uh, that was under the leadership of the chairman. And so uh, I went out in support of her and, and spoke yesterday to all of the, um, the what they call the 168. That's the, the three members from each state, basically saying, look, the party can't abandon these issues. If you do, if you do, you're going to lose about a third of those who uh, to, who vote for you, which are the faith motivated voters. Well, Tony, the point that you bring up here, I think, is an extremely important point. You know, most people are sitting back. They really don't follow the uh, RNC, don't follow the, the chairman, don't understand the role even of what takes place there. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you can just explain to our, our viewers and listeners right now why Rona McDaniels was a, a good choice, in fact, a great choice for our values to be able to continue moving forward. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jody. Uh, a lot of our listeners who have been with us for a while know that about a year and a half ago, a little less, uh, I had a, a very public um, uh, disagreement with Rana uh, because she was taking the party a different direction following kind of the left with the identity politics and advancing and announcing a pride coalition, which is, uh, you know, 180 degrees from where the party has been when it comes to a lot of the, the family and the value issues. So we had a very public confrontation. It resulted in uh, several face-to-face -face meetings and, and, and me basically being able to lay out the reasons this is a problem, not for us as evangelical voters, but more for the party. And, uh, and she's come full circle, or she's, she's turned 180 degrees on this, and she realizes the importance of these value issues and realized there were some within the party pushing a counter agenda. So she has become a real advocate, and the, this leads to the party platform, which is something I've talked about quite a bit because I've been involved in it, going back probably five presidential election cycles. And, you know, some people, uh, as you say, they don't really know what it is, it really matters, it's just all politics. It, it really does matter. The party platform, as you know, as a member of Congress, is something that's used to measure the movement of elected officials by. And 80% of the time, both Democrats and Republicans stick to the principles and the policies that are in their party platforms. And so this election was important because as we go into the next presidential election in 2024, we want a party chairman who understands the importance of that platform and the importance of it to the faith-motivated voters, like what we call the sage cons. Those are the ones, and I actually, for the first time, many of them heard the term sage con. I un unpacked that for them, the spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, challenged them to take the questionnaire, the survey, to see if they were a sage con. In fact, folks can take that today. If you're hearing that for the first time, the sage con, that's S-A-G-E-C-O-N, one word, 
text that to 67742, 67742 to get a 10-question uh, survey, and that'll determine whether or not you're a sage gun, and you'll get the results of that. And so those, those individuals, as I pointed out, uh, Jody, are 15% of the voting population. That's not huge, but they're half of the evangelical vote, and they're the core of the evangelical vote. They turn out at about 97 to 98% in every election. They are influencers. They drive that evangelical vote. You can't win just with them, but no Republican can win an election without them. And so that was the message that I, I took. And the, the way to get them is not through personalities, not through politics. They, they really don't care for that. It's about the policies and whether or not uh, they can have freedom of religion, whether or not uh, we are a country that embraces life, marriage, you, you name it, those things that line up with biblical principles and truths. Tony, that's awesome, and I, I can't underscore enough the reality, what you said, that the platform matters. Listen, we've only got about 30 seconds, and I'm, I'm going to have to move on. But uh, in light of that, does the, the party, do you think they recognize the need to be on the offense when it comes to the issue of life and some of these other values? I, I do think, and I think that was an important conversation yesterday. In fact, last night, I spoke at noon yesterday. Kellyanne Conway spoke last night, and uh, she was not in the session when I spoke at lunch. She had just flown in, and her message reemphasized the, the very same points that, that I made. So I spoke with many of the, the state leaders, and, uh, and I do think uh, that many, many, if not most of them, do understand that. And, uh, and it's, it's important that we communicate at the state level. So, so those of our, our folks out there across the country, they need to be speaking to their Republican Party members and Democratic. And, you know, if there is a Democrat, speak to them as well. But we need to influence those parties because in a two-party system as we have in this country, those are the vehicles, and we've got to use them. That's right. Tony Perkins, I can't thank you enough for your incredible leadership here at FRC but across this country. None of us can imagine the schedule that you keep. We appreciate you taking time in an airport to check in with Washington Watch. Safe travels as you continue, and thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for filling in, Jody. Have a great weekend. You too, my friend. Get some rest. All right. We want to end the program today with some good news. Uh, it's a, a great victory for religious freedom. I shared a little bit about this at the beginning of the program, but after two years of legal battles, Lydia Booth, who is an 11-year-old student in Mississippi, she reached a settlement that will allow her to wear a Jesus Loves Me mask if she so chooses. When Lydia was nine years old, administrators at her elementary school told her that religious expressions such as what she was wearing violated school policies. Look, we all know that students do not surrender their First Amendment right at the schoolhouse doors. And so we're extremely pleased that Lydia School District finally agrees with that now. And joining me to discuss this is Greg Walters. He's a senior counsel for our great friends over at Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the organization that represented the Booth family. Greg, uh, thanks for all you do. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, first of all, congratulations on winning this outcome for Lydia. Uh, what's interesting to me is this settlement was with the school, and it was not a victory in the court, which, of course, ADF 
is, is so incredibly known for. So tell us about how this unfolded. Yeah, so at the time, more than two years ago, Lydia was a third grader at Simpson Central School in Mississippi, and she was told that she could not wear a Jesus Loves Me mask that she had worn to school that day. She's pulled aside and um, told to take off the mask. And it, it is, as you said, just a gross violation of her First Amendment rights that this child, whether nine years old, 19 years old, um, does not shed her religious freedoms when she enters the schoolhouse gates. That's been the law for more than 50 years in the United States, clearly established. It, it is the law. And that that really, Greg, that, that's my next question. I mean, it is, it is the law. It's our Constitution. Uh, it's our First Amendment. And it's the First Amendment for a reason. Uh, and so why? Why did this school district take so long? I mean, why are we taking two years to resolve what seems to be a simple First Amendment question? Well, I, I can't speak to why the school district took as long. What I can speak to, though, is the boldness of our client, Lydia Booth. Um, that day when she is told that I can't wear my mask, uh, she goes out and sees her mom and says, Mama, um, we've got a problem. And she was bold enough to wear that mask and for more than two years, bold enough to stand in the gap for herself and other students um, to stand up for her religious liberty. Yeah, that is amazing. And, you know, point well taken. I, and uh, on, on both fronts here, I understand none of us can get into the head, the minds of the school district. But still, those of us on the outside looking in, uh, we do kind of scratch our head. Like, this is a First Amendment issue. How could they take two years to determine that their policy was violating the First Amendment? On the flip side, like you just said, what courage for, at the time, a nine-year-old, now 11-year-old Lydia, for recognizing that the school district was violating her, her policy. I, I can only imagine, maybe you can share with us a little bit, as to how Lydia and her family are feeling right now. Well, how she is feeling is, I mean, ex excited that this is this is over. Um, because when this happened is that she said that she was confused and she was hurt. And she wasn't hurt for herself. She's hurt for the, the fact that this is a child who wants to be a missionary. And her greatest message is that Jesus loves her and loves her fellow classmates. And she wanted to proclaim that. Uh, without any disruption, she wanted to proclaim that message and was told she couldn't. So I, there's certainly great relief that this is over for the Booth family. And anytime they stand up and any any of our clients who stand up and, and get this type of victory at the completion of that back victory, there's relief. But uh, there are still fights ahead. And I'm sure Lydia will be ready to fight him herself. I'm sure she will. And, you know, she can never imagine the soil that she has plowed for people who are coming behind her who will not have to go through what she's just gone through because she was willing to take a stand. Um, and, and right along with that, you know, all, all of you at ADF continue to do an amazing job of standing up for these First Amendment battles. Are you seeing an increase in challenges to the First Amendment and a greater hostility seemingly uh, coming from be it schools or businesses or wherever government against the First Amendment rights of individuals. Well, there's there's always uh, we're you know we're told there's always going to be hostility to the gospel, 
And so whether it's greater right now or not, what we do see are challenges daily. Uh, we see them in different contexts. We are now seeing um, certain speech prohibitions and how uh, teachers, educators are allowed to speak or not allowed to speak when it comes to uh, gender identity. And uh, they're holding to the truth of, of one man, one woman, um, and that the, the, you can't cross um, from one to the other, uh, that you're born male or female. So we're seeing that, um, but we're, we're seeing garden variety cases again. I mean, this case with Lydia, again, we have known for more than 50 years that children do not shed their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse door. And yet here we are plowing what should not be new ground. And yet we are doing that um, with school districts that still do not understand uh, that children have religious freedom when they walk into the schoolhouse. A remarkable, remarkable story. You know, I, I don't see, Greg, very many COVID masks anymore. Uh, so has Lydia moved on to perhaps a Jesus Loves Me t-shirt or pendant or something like that? Well, well, I'm sure if she could find one that she'd like to wear, that she'd be happy to wear it. And that's what's important about the new policy that the school has enacted. It's it's just overall neutrality towards religion. Um, and that's what the Constitution demands, is that it's viewpoint neutral. It's not condemned because it is religious or because of some administrator's misreading of the Establishment Clause, thinking nothing can ever be said uh, about Jesus Christ or any religion uh, within the schoolhouse. And that's just completely false. And educators and administrators um, should know that. It's a shame that they don't. Greg Walters, Alliance Defending Freedom, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. And each me. of you, hope you have a fantastic weekend. Keep the torch ablaze, put on the Lord Jesus, and go shine. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.